I'm Helen Dodd. I was an undergraduate here in psychology from 2000 until 2004. I did the applied psychology course. I had a, a year out in my third year and I am now a professor of child psychology at the University of Exeter. So during my third year, I had um, a year out from my degree, from my placement year. Um, I spent that year in a special needs school in Cardiff. It was a special needs school for children with speech and language disorders. I felt like I wanted to work with children. Um, that was something that I, I felt fairly sure about, but I didn't really know in, in what way I wanted to work with children. So I thought, I'll do that placement. I can learn a bit about teaching and learn a bit about educational psychology. And it was a, a fantastic year. I learned lots um, about working with children, about special needs school, about special education. They gave me lots of opportunity to get involved in, in different bits and pieces that they were doing. By the end of the year, I think I'd pretty much decided that I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to be an educational psychologist. But nonetheless, it still felt like a really rewarding year. And it did reinforce, I guess, that I wanted to work with children. After my placement year, I came back, did my final year. And then actually I worked for the summer um, as a research assistant. So I'd done some work for my kind of final year project um, on children with language disorders. So trying to link in with the placement year that I'd had. And that finished up in around September. And at this stage, I wasn't still any closer really to knowing what I wanted to do, but I had decided that I wanted to travel. Firstly, I went to Canada for a month and traveled across Canada. And then we stayed for another eight months working in a ski resort in Canada. I used to scan lift tickets on the mountain when you're going up the lift to go skiing and I was beep the tickets. That was a really interesting experience because it made me realize how much I liked using my brain. And I felt really ready after that to kind of engage with, with sort of more using my brain again. Um, I didn't immediately. Um, I came home and dropped off my snowboard and my snowboarding gear. And then I went to South America and I spent three and a half months in South America. Learned a bit of Spanish there to kind of try and find my brain cells. And then we made our way across the Pacific. I went to Easter Island and to Tahiti. I went to New Zealand. And then we landed in Australia having basically ran out of money um, and decided that it would be a good idea to get a working holiday visa earn some money and then the plan was to go to India from Australia once we had enough money to do the rest of the trip but I ended up staying in Australia for six years and still haven't been to India. It's so strange now thinking about the kind of connections and how it ended up. I ended up doing what I'm doing now but the person who'd supervised me for my final year project in Cardiff had a friend who was a researcher at Macquarie University in Sydney and so she gave me her email address and said I'll oh, maybe drop her an email in case she's got any work. So I did, um, and she said, oh, come and see me. Um, so I went into Macquarie University, you know, sort of two weeks after arriving in Sydney um, without any money, without having used my brain for well over a year um, and had a chat with her. And, and she said, no, she doesn't have any work, um, but it was nice to meet me. But she did send my CV around their department and the head of department then emailed me and said, would I be interested in doing a PhD? Because they had some funding for a PhD. And I said, no, didn't want to do a PhD because I thought academics kind of sat in offices and thought about things and didn't do anything. Um, and I said this, this was Max Coulthart, who, um, who offered me a PhD scholarship. He's a very well-known kind of cognitive scientist. And I sat in his office and I still can't believe that I, I was so rude, but I was just like, no, academics don't do anything important. Um, I don't want to do a PhD. I don't want to be an academic. And he said to me, well, the entire curriculum for children's learning to read in Australian schools has changed because of my research. So like, is that good enough for you? And I was like, hmm, no, don't want to do a PhD. 
So so I left that meeting having said, no, I don't want to do a PhD with no understanding at all about how difficult it is to get PhD funding and how fortunate I was to be in that position. It was very, I was very naive. Um, and then somebody else in the department offered me some work for two weeks at that point. And then that turned into about six months of work. And then eventually I was like, I love research. Um, I really liked kind of using my brain in that way and analyzing things and thinking about things. And, and I realized having spent time working in that environment that actually research can be useful and can make a difference. So then I went back to Max, um, kind of with my tail between my legs and said, um, is that PhD scholarship still around? Um, and I'm eternally grateful that he didn't tell me to go away. Um, and he said, yes. And so I, I did a PhD in Sydney. My PhD was on uh, Williams syndrome, which is a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, so still kind of linking in a bit with some of the stuff I'd done during my placement in terms of kind of childhood um, developmental disorders. Um, but I was interested in, at that point, maybe doing clinical psychology. So I wanted to do a PhD that was kind of clinically relevant. So that if I decided I wanted to come back to the UK and do my clinical training, then I would be sort of a step closer to doing that. So I did my PhD on anxiety in Williams syndrome. And during that time, I worked as a research assistant on another project, which was a, a study where we followed children over time who were at risk for anxiety. So we first saw them when they were four years old. And the most recent data collection we did, they were 16. Um, so we've seen them kind of every couple of years sort of throughout their childhood. And then when I finished my PhD, they gave me a postdoc job. Um, so I stayed in Australia a couple more years, much to my parents' <laughs> dismay of like, was I ever going to come home from this um, short backpacking trip I was supposed to be on? And during that time, I realised I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist. Um, so basically what I'd done is, is kind of got experience of different things and ruled things out. <laughs> so I didn't want to be an educational psychologist, didn't want to be a teacher, I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist. And being an academic was kind of the thing that was left <laughs> um, that I enjoyed doing and, you know, and seemed to seemed to suit me. So then I wanted to come back to England eventually after seven years away. Um, so I applied for a job at UEA, uh, University of East Anglia, went there as a lecturer. Then I went to Reading as a lecturer and then more recently moved to the University of Exeter. I don't think that I necessarily as an undergraduate understood that being an academic was a career option. You know, we kind of taught, or you could be a, you know, a clinical psychologist or an educational psychologist, or et cetera. Um, you know, obviously I, I knew it was a job because people were lecturing me and I had a vague idea that a PhD was something that you might do a after a degree, but I don't think I really understood kind of what the job was. And I remember actually as an undergraduate, somebody saying that one of our lecturers had said that he much preferred doing his research to teaching us. Um, and we were all horrified <laughs> that this lecturer preferred his research to teaching us. And now I realise that, you know, most people become academics because they love research. And it makes total sense that, of course, that was the, this lecturer's kind of first love. Doesn't mean that he didn't enjoy teaching us, but the you know the passion comes from the research, and and I think that's that's true of, of a lot of academics. It's probably true of me now. What my job looks like? Well, I've got this research fellowship which funds this um, research into play and mental health. So 
that means that mostly I do just do research. Um, so I do a little bit of, of teaching related stuff. So I have a tutor group. Um, I, I supervise final year project students. I have some masters and, and PhD students, but I'm not doing a lot of lecturing. Without the fellowship, I would normally run one or two modules. I might have a kind of what we would call an admin role, but which is kind of doing something to support the department. The challenge then is how you balance it all because you know, you've got this research that you're really passionate about. And then you've also got a teaching load, which is, you know, your, your job and what you're what you're paid to do. Um, and, you know, often then some some administrative work alongside that. Often it works quite well because it's quite nice to have that balance. Um, it's nice to be able to do some teaching as well and mix it up a bit. And I do, I love the variety in the job. Um, I love the autonomy that I have. Um, so very rarely does anybody ask what time are you going to be in the office, what time are you going to leave? Equally, I think the flip side of that is sometimes the split between work and home sometimes gets a bit blurred, especially since from working from home more during the pandemic. So my research at the moment um, focuses on anxiety in children, understanding why children become anxious um, and thinking about what we can do to sort of prevent so many children from becoming anxious. Until recently, my own research has been more kind of lab-based sort of understanding kind of the way people think and what they look at and those sort of more cognitive um, processes in relation to anxiety. And then I got a, a bit sort of disillusioned with it. And I guess going back to that conversation I had with Max Coulthart, you know, years ago about doing a PhD and I thought I've become that person I didn't want to become. Um, I've moved away from doing more practical research and now I'm doing this lab-based research and, you know, I write these papers and other academics read them, but is it really making a difference to children's lives? And, you know, I could argue that it was, but I didn't believe that I was making as much of a difference as I wanted to. So a few years ago, I intentionally made a shift um, and I applied for a big research fellowship looking at children's play and anxiety, um, which is all about um, children's kind of right to play, their access to play. And I'm really interested in risk-taking in play as well. So giving children a sort of space to explore risk-taking, to have that autonomy in their play. And what I think, based on the work that I've done previously, is that lots of the things we try and kind of target in more kind of cognitive behavioural therapy type ways of preventing anxiety in children children will learn themselves if we give them enough space to play. So, for example, we know that children, if they have difficulty with uncertainty, are more likely to be anxious. But if we allow children a space to play with uncertainty a little bit, they might get used to it and therefore be less likely to become anxious. And now I really feel like I've found my thing. You know, this kind of brings together all of the things I'm passionate about. So thinking back to you know, 18, 19 year old me and um, what advice would I give myself if I could go back? The key for me really was taking opportunities as they came along. By taking opportunities, it allowed me to learn about the things that I liked doing and didn't like doing. Um, and that's really helped me to kind of not end up, I think, committing, you know, starting a doctorate course to only realise after three years that it isn't what you want to do. And being okay with accepting that actually the plan you thought you had isn't the thing you wanted to do um, and that there are other options. But also realising that most people don't have a grand plan. Most people don't have it kind of laid out. Um, and I know, you know, when I was younger and I'd look at people who had, you know, a successful career, I think, well, they must have known and they must have, you know, planned out they're going to do this, this and this to get themselves there. Um, and I know so many people for whom that's not the case. And actually a lot of people who did that and then ended up unhappy in their job. Um, so instead, I think just doing the, 
the next thing that feels right rather than having, you know, thinking, oh, I need to have a 20 year plan. What you need to know is, are you happy with what you're doing right now? Is this next opportunity an opportunity that feels right? In that case, do it and then see what happens next and try not to worry sort of too far into the distance. Mm-hmm.